Hello and welcome to At Any Rate Podcast. I'm Meera Chandan from uh, JP Morgan's uh, FX Strategy Team. And I've got with me today Saad Siddiqui uh, from the EM team as well. So the big thing to state here up front is that there is a growing disconnect between what we think is the ultimate destination here for markets, which is the end of cycle concerns uh, within the U.S., uh, versus the data in hand that we're actually getting, uh, particularly from China and Europe, where um, you know the PMIs uh, in Europe, for example, today uh, handily beat expectations yet again. And then you had obviously China Q1 GDP numbers uh, really uh, print a solid uh, solid uh, beat earlier in the week as well. So um, what this is leaving us with is is a pretty large gap between uh, where uh, we think we're heading versus the data in hand. And I think this is something that we should really um, probably respect and um, and probably explore a bit further as well. So you know let's let's start with emerging markets because I think the price action there has been quite interesting post uh, post the banking stress in um, in the U.S. Uh, so, Saad, uh, against the backdrop that I've just described, uh, what have we really learned about emerging markets in the past month from the price action? And um, and what are you suggesting investors do here with uh, with currencies and EM? Hi, Mira. So let me answer that in a few parts. So first, I'm, I'm going to give a little bit of feedback from our uh, conference that we held last week uh, during the IMF and World Bank spring meetings, because that tends to be a pretty good way to get a pulse of investor sentiment. Um, I'll then talk a little bit about you know the lessons we've learned over the past six weeks. I think it's been a, a very revealing kind of trial run and experiment of how EM might behave uh, when end of cycle stresses uh, emerge. Uh, then a little bit about the risks that are still ahead and how that's informing our strategy in EM currencies. So first of all, in terms of the feedback from investors and the general kind of tone of market sentiment uh, during the IMF and World Bank spring meetings, uh, there wasn't all that much consensus, a lot of focus on doing a post-mortem of U.S. banking sector stresses about U.S. debt ceiling and those types of global issues. But for emerging markets, I think investors were generally uh, a little bit more constructive. I wouldn't say super bullish, but compared to other asset classes, they actually did express a preference for being in uh, emerging market local currency instruments, so both in rates uh, and in FX. And I think a lot of that is, you know, one caveat is, you know, there's a bit of recency bias when we take these types of, of surveys, the recent price action always informs how investors are feeling about an asset class. Um, but I do think, um, you know, we have learned some pretty important lessons over the past uh, six, uh, you know, four to six weeks. And that brings me on to the, the second part, which is what are those lessons that, that, that we've learned? So, you know, coming into this year, as you mentioned, we were much more concerned about uh, the end of cycle risks in the U.S. and how that's going to play out. We know the historical regularity, which is that uh, in uh, the onset of a U.S. recession or as those fears begin to emerge, the dollar tends to strengthen and emerging market currencies tend to be the first things that investors sell out of their portfolios. So um, it doesn't matter what the origination of any shock is. Um, whether it's in the U.S. or elsewhere, EM currencies, we know are very high beta to that. Now, we had thought that this time might be a little bit more different, and that's because 
we were there was no big large structural positioning overhang in emerging market currencies. EM central banks were hiking well before the Fed as well, so you had a bit of a buffer uh, as well. But ahead of time, you don't really know how markets are going to behave when the actual uh, rubber hits the road and you get these types of stresses emerging. So with that in mind, I think uh, you know the fact is. You know, six weeks on from the beginning of those stresses, uh, EM currencies now are stronger than they were pre-SVB. Uh, you didn't really have all that much weakness um, uh, even during the the middle of those uh, of those stresses, uh, and the currencies that sold off were the ones that had the most positioning, like the Mex peso, Hungarian forint. They were very popular carry trades, so they corrected a bit, but it was not a very you know major correction all things considered. Um, so I think what that is telling us is that the left tail of that dollar smile as far as emerging market currencies are concerned is probably uh, quite a bit more subdued than it has been in the past. And it uh, has kind of increased uh, in our confidence in the sense that uh, EM currencies this time around are not necessarily going to be as vulnerable as they have been in the past to um, a U.S. recession or the stresses that uh, the, that can emerge from that. That's not to say that there's a green light and that you know those currencies can can appreciate. But where you have uh, relatively high carry, clean positioning, okay valuations, uh, you won't necessarily see a huge amount of contagion unless the shock is a really big shock. And I would. I would argue that last month's shock was, um, it obviously didn't turn out to be a systemic one, but it was still quite a big one nonetheless. And I think net-net uh, uh, investors in EM currency should take comfort uh, from the lessons we've learned uh, over that past month. Now, in terms of the risks ahead, I don't want to sound complacent here. The next time something, uh, some stresses emerge, it may well be more systemic. It may well be harder to extinguish uh, than the ones we had last month. So I think, you know, a, a good degree of caution uh, is warranted. But so long as EM central banks um, don't make a, a mistake of premature easing and the carry buffer remains high, I, th I think central banks are able to cut credibly places like, you know, in Brazil, uh, where real rates are quite high. But as long as you're having, you maintain this credible central bank policy, um, then I think a lot of those risks that we were concerned about, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, there's you know big mitigating uh, mitigating factors there. Now, what to do right now? So I think right now, tactically, uh, the the bigger concern is that there could be a bit more upside ahead at the short end of the U.S. rates curve, uh, and while the first leg of the sell-off at the short end of the US rates curve was relatively well taken by EM currencies. The dollar hasn't really uh, strengthened much uh, on the back of that. I think some of that might've been just a taking out of risk premium for the Fed having to react much more aggressively to the stresses we saw last month. Um, but the next leg higher, I think might not be as smooth sailing. So tactically, I do see uh, you know, a scope for uh, some EM currency weakness, especially in those currencies that have rallied a lot, that are at stronger levels than they were uh, at the start of March. 
so I think tactical caution is warranted, but um, on kind of a, you know, uh, if I take a, a, a multi-month view further out, uh, I'd actually be, uh, you know, a bit more constructive than than I was, you know, pre uh, having this trial run of the stresses of SVB. Okay, thanks, Saad. And um, is there any regional preference that you would highlight? I know in the past, Latin America, because of the carry, um, has been uh, the favored uh, sort of uh, place for emerging markets. Is that still the case? Yeah. So if you look at the the double digit club for EM carry, uh, that club is mostly in Latin America. And actually, all the big Latin American currencies, Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, Chile, I mean, we don't necessarily like all of those currencies, but they're all offering double digit yields outside of Latin America. You get double digit yields in Hungary, um, South Africa, depending on which part of the curve you know, you're looking at. So I think within that complex of high carry EM, uh, where you also have high real carry, uh, you know, Mexican peso, uh, BRL, those types of currencies, I think, are uh, on kind of a multi-month basis, uh, you know, to me, still fundamentally sound uh, ways to to earn FX carry. You know, of course, I think we need a bit of a correction for us. The levels right now are not very uh, great to get into. So one needs to have... Um, uh, you know, a bit of tactical nuance there. But I think uh, Latin America carry to me looks good. And, um, you know, if it weren't for the stresses we had last month, you know, we'd be talking a lot more about how China growth has been surprising to the upside and how Latin America is is the region that benefits quite a, quite a bit from that. Uh, within Asia, I think the story is a bit more mixed. You don't have the carry buffer in Asia, it's a it's, it's quite a bit more reliant on any types of spillovers that you might get from China. Those spillovers so far have, um, you know, are, are yet to be seen uh, convincingly in the data. Uh, so really, I think it's a story of a preference for high carry LATAM currencies that have got sound macro fundamentals, where the idiosyncratic risks are. Uh, not overwhelming either. And against that, you know, currencies that you want to be a bit more cautious on are those that are um, relatively low carry and also more sensitive to anything going wrong, to any wobble uh, or to a repeat of the types of stresses we saw last month. So South African RAND stands out as one uh, that, um, uh, that that's more vulnerable. Uh, but turning this around to you, Mira, you know, the Fed's last rate hike seems to be on the horizon. Um, what should we expect from the dollar uh, once we get that uh, kind of concluding rate hike from the Fed? Sure. Thanks. Um, thanks, Saad. Um, so, you know, it's it's I think it is instructive to look at what the um, FX markets and the dollar have done around prior um, Fed pauses. Uh, but obviously, the upfront caveat here is that past performance is not always indicative of what will happen in the future, and one has to take into account um, the current macro environment as well. But what is worth noting when you look at um, the last three or four hiking cycles is, firstly, uh, what we tend to see with the broad dollar index, that it tends to either range trade uh, or modestly weaken in the two to three months after that uh, last hike in the cycle. 
if you kind of drill down on a more granular basis, where where is this dollar weakness concentrated against? It tends to mostly come from high beta currencies, actually. I mean, uh, I was taking a look at the G10 um, uh, commodity currencies, for example, their performance versus the dollar or even EM index performance versus the dollar. Uh, those two blocks tend to generally, uh, you know, sort of appreciate in, in spot terms relative to the dollar in the immediate aftermath. And actually, the dollar tends to be fairly range bound versus other reserve currencies like yen and Swissy. Um, the other thing that really stood out to me when I looked at this past performance is that actually carry uh, baskets within currencies tend to do quite well as the Fed comes to a pause. Uh, you know, one thing that we've been noting and, and you alluded to as well, um, Saad, is that FX carry baskets have had a stellar performance, not just year to date in 2023, also in 2022. And that hasn't really, aside from a brief uh, breather that it took during the US banking stresses, it hasn't really been derailed. And what we've actually seen in the past is that once the Fed pauses, carry tends to do actually even better uh, in the aftermath of that and, and commensurate with that, you know, FX wall tends to fall as well. Now, um, what will happen this time around? Look, I mean, I think it's for this reason, the fact that the Fed's coming to a pause and the fact that we're getting an upturn in both China and Europe for idiosyncratic reasons, very specific to those regions unrelated to the US, I think is something that can actually give us a shelf life to high beta performance here, which is very much in contrast to sort of the end of cycle defensive stance we've been more concerned about. And I, I'm just sort of willing to be, I think, a lot more open-minded to an extension of these kind of dynamics in the coming months. I think, um, uh, you know, the growth signals, the fact that they're cooperating, um, you know, is is a really big deal. And uh, I was really holding out for the PMIs, the flash PMIs this week. But given that we've had another upside surprise in Europe, kind of indicates to me that there's actually, um, you know, perhaps more, more here than uh, perhaps the market um, anticipates. So, um, Against that, you know, I mean, does this mean that we're sort of full on bearish on the dollar? Not really. I mean, it's pretty clear that the big thing that is concerning us and market participants is U.S. recession risk, which on any based objective measure, measure still remains quite high. So I would I would say that, you know, it's sort of probably prudent to sort of keep powder dry here and and focus on um, on the high carry currencies, as you've been as you've been pointing out, and perhaps among the low yielders focusing and being quite vigilant around which ones are actually delivering the growth um, there. So overall, um, I would say um, neutral on the dollar, but sort of cognizant of the fact that this mix that you're getting of a pause in Fed policy combined with an upturn in growth signals um, could be quite meaningful for markets. Thanks. So, you know, the big topic uh, at the IMF World Bank spring meetings was the upcoming U.S. debt ceiling. Now, as we get closer to that, I think that's going to be uh, you know, a bigger event risk and a, and, a, and a source of focus for the markets. How do you think that's going to play out uh, for, for FX and for the dollar specifically? Look, I, you know, we, we've looked at um, what happens to various reserve currencies in periods of idiosyncratic stress to that particular country. Uh, in the case of the U.S., um, you know, it, it would be, I think, very reasonable to expect the dollar to actually underperform other reserve currencies if this um, debate and showdown goes down to the wire, which is sort of now being widely expected by the media. Um, if you go back uh, to August of 2011, you know, the lead up to that, 
uh, we certainly saw that play out as well. I mean, it's a bit hard in that period to kind of tease out what was really attributable to what was going on in the US with the debt ceiling versus what was going on in Europe with sovereign credit stress, because that was something that was in the background as well. But in a nutshell, what we saw was that the dollar weakened versus other reserve assets, whether that was gold, uh, Swiss franc, yen, euro was an exception, but of course, euro was also at the center of its own um, sort of stress at that point in time. So that's not perhaps that's surprising, uh, you know, any kind of benefit that euro might have experienced probably went to Swiss franc at that point. So I think the expectation here to me would be that, um, you know, the dollar should be weakening versus these other reserve assets. And Unlike 2011, where Euro did not participate, I think in this instance, uh, actually in the absence of um, another flare up on the geopolitics, and given that growth signals are actually on the upturn for Eurozone, um, I think Euro could also equally participate in this. But a combination of sort of, you know, Swiss, yen, Euro, and gold um, sort of strengthening versus the dollar seems like a very, very reasonable approach. But yet, you know, I, I should stress that this is, again, yet another um, source of concern on the high beta currency space, because if you have something as meaningful going on in the U.S. as, uh, the you know, around the debt ceiling, uh, it's hard for overall uh, macro investors to kind of engage in, in massive amount of risk taking in macro markets. So that in particularly in growth sensitive um, currencies. So that's yet another source of concern. But, you know, obviously, you know, carry carry compensates for a lot of things. Um, so, so stay tuned for that. So that's um, that's all for us today. We we will wrap up here. Thank you for joining. Any additional uh, information can be found on jpmorganmarkets.com. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Uh, please refer to JP Morgan Research reports related to its content. For more information, including important disclosures, 2023 J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on April 21st, 2023.